money, deals, tribal knowledge, resources, training, coaching, partnering. We are Texas's largest real estate investor association at texasstarterkit.com. My name is Shanoa Grove. Welcome to the show. What if you owned 20 houses or 100 houses or maybe 500 houses? Uh, then how much richer would you be? Anybody working on a challenge right now? Anybody have something that's uh, challenging for them? Real estate problem you're trying to figure out? Nobody? Who's new to investing? Raise your hand if you're new. All right. What are you trying to do? You want to do some commercial real estate? Why do you want to do commercial real estate? Just curiosity. Yeah. So we do commercial and we do residential. We do active and we do passive. Um, I'm just curious. What What is it about commercial? You said you don't know what the future holds for a residential. Yeah, well, you don't know what the future holds for commercial either. So what is appealing to you about commercial? What What do you like about commercial? Why, why do you want to do commercial? So you want to passively invest. You want to, you have some money and you want to make money with your money. Okay. That's a good thing to do with commercial. Commercial real estate on average has about twice the return of the stock market. Stock market on average is about seven and a half percent return. Commercial on average is about 15% return. Every deal varies. Uh, but I always tell everybody, if you have a pile of money to invest, either IRA money or cash, uh, there's really nothing better you can do that I know of than invest in commercial real estate because you typically get twice the return. Uh, and less risk. Um, but there's all types of reasons why you might do commercial versus residential ver active versus uh, passive. But if you got some money and you want to make some money on your money, I think you're doing exactly the right thing, commercial real estate. So who else is uh, new getting started? New getting started. What are you trying to do? You'd like to do what? Land. Why do you want to do land? Just curious. Now, what, what, what do you like about land? You build homes on it, lease it out. So, you know, in real estate, and, and we do land, um, we call that the alligator deal. I mean, the problem with land, here's the problem with land. Land is typically commercial, okay? But the, the problem with land compared to just about any other kind of investment, like a, a commercial investment, it doesn't generate any income, right? So there's all kinds of things you can do with land. we got people in this network that do land. I mean, you can entitle it, like you could take a big piece of land and chop it up into lots and add roads and infrastructure and then build whatever, either commercial or residential, some combination of mixed use on there. Uh, Texas, you got a lot of land. So what a lot of people in Texas, they love their freaking ranches. Uh, so sometimes you, you, you buy a hundred acre ranch, you chop it up into four uh, ranchettes, right? 25 acre uh, ranchettes. That's very popular to do. But what I always find the challenges with land, it doesn't generate any income and it takes time in most cases, to add infrastructure, roads, utilities, to entitle it for building on, right? So whenever you do a land deal, you're typically buying the land, right, with an idea that you're going to make some kind of improvement and sell it like three to five years from now, right, or, or, or in the future. The problem is I have no idea three to five years from now what the market will be, right? Nobody does, right? We don't know, right? Now, with like an apartment building or most commercial investments, if the deal is structured well, in my opinion, a deal should never go bad. It should only maybe go long. Like if you have an apartment building and your plan is to do whatever, 
uh, force the appreciation, raise the income, uh, reduce expenses, and then sell it in three or four or five years. In three or four or five years, if the market's a little slow, well, then it just takes a little longer, right? But you're still getting income. You're still paying your mortgage payment, and you're still carrying the property, maybe even generating a little uh, income off of the property. With land, depending on how that deal's fi financed, right, if this thing doesn't sell, right, if you got a mortgage on land, like you're buying a land with mortgage, right, and, and then it doesn't sell, well, you're now continuing to make mortgage payments on a property that doesn't generate any income. And, you know, so you better have some deep pockets and a lot of runway uh, if that's the plan. Now, I will say of all the commercial assets, land has the highest risk, highest reward. You can make a fortune on land, but it is high risk, high reward. And I always tell people, be prepared, right, uh, to hold it maybe a long time, you know, especially in Texas. I mean, land, it's hot, and then boom, it's cold. You just can't even give it away, right? And then it's hot, and then it's cold, right? And, and you don't know what it's going to be, you know, in the future, right? Five years or three years or whatever you're planning to, to flip that land to do whatever you're going to do with that land. Wholesaling. So you want to wholesale some properties. Why do you want to do wholesale? Who wants to do wholesale? Right? Who likes to do wholesaling? You want to do wholesaling? Yeah. And what, what you're thinking like it's easy, there's no risk. Is that it? Something like that. I, I know. I, I, and we do wholesaling. Uh, wholesaling is one of the 12 different strategies uh, that I teach and that I use uh, as a residential real estate investor. And, you know, the good thing about wholesaling is it's the easiest thing to teach. Uh, the bad thing about wholesaling is I would say on average it's the hardest thing to do that makes on average the least amount of money. So when somebody tells me, I want to get started by wholesaling, here's how my brain kind of translates that plan. I want to do the hardest thing there is to do that on average makes the least amount of money. And I know from my experience that about 19 out of 20, maybe not 20 out of 20, but about 19 out of 20 people that try to do that, you know, give up uh, before they ever get going. Like, have you ever read the book, The Millionaire Wholesaler? No, it's actually never been written, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and it never will be written, okay, because it's the hardest thing to do. And, and I'm not saying don't do wholesaling. You should do wholesaling. But I would argue that you should do wholesaling as well as 11 other strategies. They're all good, right? And, and some of the strategies take time and, 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 and money. Uh, some, some take no money. Wholesaling takes no money. Well, I know eight other strategies that also take no money, so they're just as scalable. But I'm even going to tell you, do the ones that take money, but use other people's money. Right now, the deal has to pay for the deal. I mean, the, the, the deal has to pay for the money. You're going to have to pay money if you use other people's money. But that's okay, because if the deal cannot afford the money, right, then what am I going to tell you about the deal? I'm going to tell you the deal sucks, right? <laughs> and so, so find a better deal. Okay, who else is uh, getting started investing real estate? Who else? What do you, what do you want to do? So I'm going um, to teach a whole bunch of ways to make money, uh, you know, long-term, short-term in residential, so that's a big topic of the day, so you're, I think you're going to enjoy that. Um, with long-term rentals, um, I own a lot of long-term rentals. I got about $30 million worth of houses here in Austin uh, for rental properties, and I've been doing it for 20 years. Um, and a lot of my net worth came from, frankly, decisions I made 15 to 20 years ago uh, buying rental properties. So I, I bought them all 15, 20 years ago, just let them ride, right? And they doubled and doubled and doubled in value, and the tenants paid off the mortgages, which is freaking awesome. But I will tell you something I've learned over the last 20 years. They're not all the same. There are places in town where you would never want to own uh, long-term rentals. And there are places in town where you would absolutely want to own uh, long-term rentals. So where are you thinking of buying a long-term rental? In, in Little Rock, Arkansas? 
Okay. Um, why? Why are you doing that? I mean, yeah, if you ever invest from afar, you do need trusted boots on the ground. So you get some family there, so maybe some trusted boots on the ground. Um, you said uh, Arkansas? Yeah. So, um, you know, Arkansas is not the most exciting state in terms of migration, right? Population growth. Real estate, more than anything else, the, the future value of real estate is driven by supply and demand. It's very little affected by uh, the economy. It tends to be a leading indicator, not a lagging indicator. Okay, like the economy crashes, people think real estate's going to crash. During the Great Depression, real estate prices went down a whopping 6%. Nothing. Okay, during the Great Pandemic, real estate prices went up 30%. So it's not the economy. Okay, when real estate crashes, it pulls the economy down. When it booms, it pulls the economy up. It's supply and demand. So you always want to own real estate long-term where the demand is growing, where the population is robustly going up, okay? Uh, because that's where there's more growing demand. Now, in Texas, a lot of Texas, you have growing demand, right? People keep having babies, keep moving to Texas. So we have more and more people competing for whatever real estate is here, right? Uh, so on the demand side, you always want to buy and hold where there's a massive amount of population growth. Right, in influx migration, positive migration. Migration is the ratio of people moving in versus people moving out. Okay. Now the other thing you want to look at is is um, supply, right? Supply. And there's two kinds of supply. There's what we call fixed supply and variable supply. Okay. Variable supply is wherever they're still building houses. If they're still building houses, or if there's even room to build houses, you're not going to get much appreciation because you're competing with the, the builder. And as long as you compete with the builder, you can't win, right? You, the prices go up a little bit, right? Because inflation and, and building costs go up. But that's a tiny improvement, right? You want to own where there is no more supply, right? Like in the inner cities, there's no more land to build on, for the most part. I mean, you can find a lot here and there, but for the most part, there's no more land to build on. So if you go back and look at Austin and the major Texas cities, where did the prices double and double and double again, Right? in the inner cities where there's no more land to build on, right, where the population exploded. Then you have growing demand with no more supply. That's where the property is double in value, double again. So I'm going to tell you, you know, over a period of 20 years owning all these rental properties, the properties that I bought in the suburbs, they made me a little money, a little money, better than a poke in the eye with a stick. The, the properties in the inner city made me a fortune. That, that made me multi, multi, multi-millionaire. So I have properties in the inner city that I bought for 140000 that are worth 500000 today. And I have a lot of them, right? Those are the ones that are life changers. So uh, I'm not a big fan of buying property out of state. Uh, you know, it's hard to manage things out of state. And, you know, as real estate investors, uh, we always say, look for out-of-state owners, right? Why do you think the people here are trying to find the out-of-state owners? We're, we're trying to find the people in Arkansas that bought a house in Texas because... It's probably a nightmare for them trying to manage it from there, right here. Uh, and you're going to be so many Texas who's right buying a property in, you know, Arkansas. So you got family there. You got some trusted boots on the ground. That's good. But I would say as you build out your portfolio, I think there might be places that, uh, you know, you, that, that could get you better returns uh, than, than that long term. So that's, that's a piece of it. Who else is getting started tonight? Who else is getting started? What are you trying to do? Single family home and duplex for what? To, to do what with? Long-term rental, long-term rental. 
Single family houses will always appreciate better than duplexes. You're always better off owning one single family than, than, than a duplex or two single families than one duplex. I mean, you're just going to get a much better return from two single families instead of one duplex. Uh, and people always ask me the question, I'm just going to answer it. What do you think of the idea of like buying a duplex and living in half and renting out the other half? I hate that idea on so many levels. I'm not even sure where to get started. Okay. You don't want to be friends with your tenant. Okay. I'm sorry. You never want to manage a property. Right? How many properties should you own before you hire a property manager? That would be okay. That would be one. I mean, property management is, I'm sorry, minimum wage activity. You don't want your focus is getting more deals, making wealth, not saving a little money on property management. Uh, the appreciation sucks on duplex versus two single families. So it's just it's not a good investment. It's not a good thing for you to do. It's just not not good. Right. So buy yourself some houses. Right. In those high appreciation areas, that's where you're gonna. Thank me five and 10 or 15 years from now, because those, those, that's where you're going to double and double again. But, but, but here's the thing, the average appreciation rate, and it depends on where it is, but an average appreciation rate on a fourplex is like 4%. The average appreciation rate on an inner city property uh, in Austin is more than 10%. I mean, it is long term, right? So, so would you rather get 4% return on your money or would you rather get 10% return on your money? Well, it, you know, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, but who cares what it is? It is. You know, do you care why? I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is, um, just duplexes, fourplex, they don't appreciate as well. Now, every location is different. Like a fourplex in the inner city will do much better than a fourplex in the suburbs. That's a hopeless situation, right? Uh, but I mean, just property for property, look at the numbers. We have what are called animated heat maps where we've pulled every sale of a piece of property in Texas off of all the major MLSs in all the major metropolitan cities, and we've tracked it back more than 20 years. And we can show the appreciation rate by property by location on animations, right? And, and, and it's so obvious, right? You don't want where you want to buy, where you don't want to buy, and what, what you want to buy, what you don't want to buy. So, an apartment building is a whole different thing. That's a commercial property. Uh, anytime you have five units or more, five doors or more, it's considered commercial. So fourplex is residential, duplex residential, five or more is apartment building. Uh, and we love apartment buildings, but it's a whole different game. With an apartment building, you're buying and selling a business. The value of the property is not based so comps as well the property is run, how operating income it gets. So, so you're saying rents are going up. Why, why is that? I mean, rents go up for single family, rents go up for duplex, they, they go up. I, I don't know. It depends on the duplex, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, when rents go up, it's good for real estate owners, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the rent on is going to go up on a duplex is going to go up. I mean, uh, you know, rents go up, right? I mean, I, I don't I don't know why rents on a duplex would go up less or more than a comparable single family in the area. So, if rents go up ten percent, they go up ten percent on the comparable rental properties within the area. I'm making generalizations, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, it's like, would I rather own a duplex in the inner city uh, or a duplex in the suburb, inner city? Would I rather own a duplex in the inner city versus a house in the suburbs? I might go for the duplex in the inner city, right? Location trumps, uh, you know, uh, um, property type to some degree. Right. But I'm just making some generalizations. Right. And, and there's a lot of generalizations. And I'll tell you another thing when it comes to long term, because some of you are interested in long term. 
when I look at like how I've made money over 20 years, where do you think I made my money? From the cash flow or from the appreciation? The appreciation is like 25 times more than the cash flow. Now think about that. These are long-term investments. I think with a long-term investment, the question you should ask yourself is how much money do you make over the long term, right? So if most appreciation by a order of magnitude comes from the appreciation, most of the money comes from versus the cash flow, I would argue, does cash flow even matter? I don't think it really does. I mean, you know, and, and people always talk about like cash flow rental property. I've been doing it for 20 years. I got $30 million of houses right here in Austin. And if you add up all the cash flow on a $30 million portfolio, to be honest with you, it wouldn't pay for a really nice watch that I own. It's just not significant because people think there's cash flow for rental properties. It's a myth. Okay, I'm, it's a myth. And I'm exaggerating a little bit. I mean, I'm making some general statements here, but it's like, oh, I'm getting, you know, four or $500 a month cash flow. That's a lot. You, you, and air goes out, boom, 8,000 bucks, right? Typed out a year's worth of I'm caught up. I'm making cash flow. New roof, you know, $8,000. Boom, you lost another year of cash flow. Oh, I'm caught up. I'm making money again, right? Make ready, you know, 12 grand. Uh, you just wiped out another year of cash flow. I mean, every time you think you're starting to make a little bit of money with these rental properties, you have to do something, right, that, that wipes it all out again. And, and you know, so, so I'm exaggerating, but just a little bit. You know, I don't really... I've not, my life and lifestyle has not changed because of the cash flow I've gotten from my portfolio. My life has changed because of buying the portfolio, the properties doubled in value, doubled again, doubled again. Okay, so I own a $30 million portfolio of houses uh, here in Austin. If I add up all the debt on the whole portfolio, it's probably less than five or somewhere in the neighborhood of five, five million. Uh, because the property have doubled in value, doubled again, doubled again, and, and the tenants paid off all the mortgages. Thank you very much, tenants, right? So, so my net worth has grown dramatically, even though the cash flow is not significant. My point is, so like, what do you have, what do you do if you get a little negative cash flow? Is that the question? So, so I'll give you an example, example of that, but, but I'll, I'll give you an example. I have properties that have negative cash flow, but I'm both an active investor and a passive investor. If you do the crappy, crappy fix and flip, you do the, a crappy fix and flip, you make 30 grand. A decent one, you make 40, 50 grand. A crappy fix and flip, you make 30 grand. Let's say you have an incredible rental property. We call it the unicorn property, right? Uh, $800 of gross cash flow a month. It's a lie, but let's pretend you could find it. What's the net? 300? What, what, what is that? 3,000 a year, right? So one crappy active deal makes more money than 10 unicorn rental properties. And that's why I say you're, you're never going to get a lot of money out of rental properties. It's not, not going to generate, you'd have to own 1,000 rental properties to make enough money to really have a great life because of rental properties. But they do appreciate like crazy, right? So, so what I do if I have negative cash flow, I flip a house, 30 grand, and that pays for the $100 a month of negative cash flow for the next 30 years or whatever, right? I mean, it's like, it, it, it's no big deal. But don't get cash flow, you know, don't let that program your brain. So I'll give you another one. Like, do you have a 401k? Do you have a 401k? 
But but you, you, like, who has a 401k at work? Who's who's got a 401k? Okay, congratulations. You got a 401k. For all of you that have a 401k, congratulations. You have a negative cash flow investment. That's what a 401k is. They're taking cash out of your paycheck. Look at your pay stub. You could have gotten this, but nope, you're getting this. And and what did they do with that money they took out? They stuck it in what? Stocks and mutual funds? Average return on the stock market is 7.5% a year. right? And if you ask a financial planner, they would say that was brilliant. I have a rental property that appreciates conservatively at $15,000 a year. But I got a negative $100 a month cash flow. So what does that mean? It means it costs me $1,200 a year to make $15,000. And people think it's a dumb investment because it's negative cash flow. It's a 1,000% return on the investment. So I'm going to ask you again, do you really care about cash flow or do you care how much money you make? Right? Yeah, you should care about how much money you make. Um, who else is getting started here tonight? So that's a great question. And I'm exactly the right guy to ask. Because I may be the only real estate investor you're ever going to meet that has no bias at all. I do residential, I do commercial, I do active, do passive. And most people that teach real estate say, no, you need to do this. This is the best way. And I do them all. So I'm going to give you an honest, unbiased, I don't care which way you go, uh, answer. It depends on the problem you're trying to solve. Okay, so commercial and residential, one's not better than the other. They just do different things. So we had a question up front. If you told me I have a pile of money, right? I got $100,000 or whatever. I got a pile of money and I just want to double my money as safely and quickly as possible. I'm going to say, put that in a commercial deal. Commercial will give you on average twice the return in the stock market with less risk. So for getting the turn on a pile of money, I'm going to say passively invest in commercial. Absolutely. If you say, I want to quit my job. A lot of people want to quit my job. I want to use real estate to replace my income so I can quit my job. I'm going to say flip houses. And there's 12 different ways to do it. We're going to talk about all the different ways to do it. That's the fastest way to generate a six-figure income that you can use to quit your job and move from whatever you're doing now to real estate. Now, if you say, I want to flip commercial, I'm going to say, great, you know, you can make a million dollars or more, right, flipping an apartment building, right? But these deals typically take three to five years, right? So they take a long time. Yes, you can make a lot of money. The people are like, oh, commercial is a lot of money. I want a lot of money. That's true. But commercial... Flipping is not something that's fast, like house flipping. There's all kinds of strategies you can do with residential that are fast, right? With commercial, most of the strategies take time. So it's not better or worse. It's just kind of what you're, what you're trying to accomplish. Now, I would tell everybody, because we're kind of on this topic of uh, you know, rental properties, I think everybody should buy rental properties. And, and why not? You know, over time, you can buy rental properties. There's all kinds of tricks you can use to buy rental properties and even do it with little or no money, little or no credit, or you can get whatever money you put in, you can get it out again. There's all kinds of ways to do that. And over time, nothing will determine your future, your wealth, you know, 10 or 20 years from now, more than accumulating real estate and just letting it ride, right? And, and it's because of, of leverage. I mean, it doesn't, you don't, it doesn't even have to go up that much. Like in the stock market, if you buy $100,000 worth of stock, what does that cost you? It costs you $100,000. And to make $200,000, the stock has to double, right? But, it, but in, in real estate, to buy $100,000 worth of house, how much does that cost? Maybe $20,000 down? Okay. You know, maybe less. I'll show you how to do it with even less, right? And, and if the house goes up 10% in value, 
you just made 10,000 on that 20. You just made a 50% return on your investment. Right? The stock market, you get an average 7.5% real estate because of leverage. You get huge returns on the amount of capital that you have going in. Right? And there's also all kinds of ways to get effectively infinite returns because there's all kinds of ways to buy and own real estate even with no money. Right? And then, then what's your return on investment when you can buy real estate and get a return on something that essentially costs nothing? Right? That's called an infinite return. And there's ways to do that with real estate. It depends. You, you, you don't have to get $1,000 of negative cash flow. But yeah, if you bought the wrong property at the wrong price, sure, yeah, you can get a $1,000 negative cash flow. I, I think that's a good, and, and that's kind of why I said before, everybody that tells me, oh, there's all oh, there's cash flow in rental properties, where? There's no cash flow in rental properties, right? I'm sorry, it's a myth. You got lied to, right? If you look at the whole plan, it's a lie. I'm sorry, I'm exaggerating, but not a lot. I mean, I have friends that own a lot more real, real estate than I do, and they're going to tell you there's not really, really cash flow. It shouldn't be negative a thousand. But yeah, by the time you factor in property management, you have to take depreciation, uh, yeah, there's not really much cash flow left for most rental properties. But, you know, you can get tenants to carry most of the cost, maybe all of the cost, and they double in value, double again, right? While the tenant's paying off the, the, the mortgages, huge long-term wealth play. Huge long-term wealth play. Not in Austin, no. Yeah. San Antonio, maybe. I mean, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you're going to pay more. You're going to get a little less uh, cash flow. But it depends. I mean, I'm going to show you guys a trick uh, a little later tonight uh, where we buy properties by simply taking over mortgages. Uh, used to be mortgages were like 3%, right? And, you know, all those people that have 3% mortgages, when they become distressed sellers, the loan they have is actually worth more than the home they have. Right, and if I can show you how to take over their mortgage payments, that's a way to accumulate rental properties with very low interest loans from potentially distressed sellers that will not get you massive negative cash flow. So I'm going to show you there's some tricks we can do to not get massive negative cash flow. But I will tell you, what's that? Yeah, that's subject to. That's one of the the strategies that we, uh, which is a very powerful strategy. And there's all kinds of things you can do in terms of finance to get properties with minimal money down uh, and uh, get properties that may give you uh, a great appreciation depending on location. Any other questions? Anybody else uh, getting started? Yeah. All kinds of things. I own a lot of properties that I got subject to taking over other people's mortgages um, because it scales you up. No money, no credit, right? And uh, I, nobody has enough credit. Nobody has enough capital, right? So it's the only way to scale yourself up. Um, we've done all kinds of properties where we, we uh, fix and refinance. Uh, and when we refinance, we get the capital back out. Uh, and before I got married, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, my girlfriend and I would do something where I'd buy a property for 80, 80 I'll make up some numbers. Like eight, I'd buy a property for 80,000, but it's worth more, right? It's just a fixer upper, right? So I'd buy it for 80 and I'd fix it up with another 20. So now I got 100,000 in the property, but it's now worth, you know, 140, right? So I would sell it to her for 140. Okay, when she bought it for 140, she had to put what is that 28 down? Uh, so she had to put 28 thousand dollars down. Okay, I made 40 thousand dollars rough uh, profit. She had to get the loan. She had to put 28 thousand dollars down. So I would rebate her her 28 thousand down. So now she's gotten a property right with 28 thousand down with a 28 thousand dollar cash refund. 
essentially she got 100% financing. And then she would buy a property for $80,000, right? Fix it up for 20, right? And then sell it to me for 140 because that's what it would appraise for. I'd put 28 down and we'd go back and forth, back and forth. There's all kinds of things you can do uh, to get your capital back out of the properties uh, to scale you up. Because if you're just putting 20% down over and over and over again, you're going to run out of money pretty fast, right? And you're going to run out of credit pretty fast. There, there are, but you know, if you buy a property in LLC, you're going to pay a premium interest on top of the higher interest we're at now. And by the way, I don't really think we're really at high interest right now. We're at normal interest right now. Okay. Like, oh, interest rates are high. No, interest rates are normal. Investing is what interest rates were for the first many years of my life. Most of my rental properties, you know, have like six and a half, seven and a half percent loan. That's just that's normal for years. Three percent, four percent, that's is so we had freakishly low interest rates and now we have normal interest rates again that's kind of my perspective uh on it uh but yeah there are commercial portfolio loans and things that, that'll get you more loans but it gets harder to get more and more loans right as you get more and more loans the good loans uh you're limited to how many you're going to get uh so you do have to get creative okay have to finance these so I'm going to show you some creative methods of buying with other and with other people's credit. Uh, and if you could buy real estate with other people's money, all of okay. How much do you want? All of it. All right. Anybody else getting started tonight? Nobody else is getting started. Getting started. Uh, you know, uh, debt service coverage ratio loans. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, most commercial loans are that kind of loan, right? And, and the lender will give a loan based on whether or not the property can afford to pay the mortgage, right? So you have to have so much income, typically 20 or 30% more than the mortgage payment to qualify for that kind of a loan. Um, there's nothing wrong with that kind of a loan, right? And you can buy real estate using those loans, and those are easier loans to get. But there's a catch, okay? The properties that would qualify for that loan have higher cash flow, but they also have lower appreciation. So appreciation over time trumps cash flow by more than 10 to 1. So if you buy a portfolio using those types of properties, yes, you'll get more cash flow, but over a period of a decade, you'll not be nearly as wealthy as had you bought the higher appreciation properties. That's the catch. Now, I know what everybody wants, high cash flow, high appreciation. People in hell want iced tea, okay? They're not going to get it. <laughs> and unfortunately, we don't get it either, right? And unfortunately, the higher appreciating properties have worse cash flow, and the higher cash flow properties have worse appreciation. They're, they're like that. That's just how it is, right? And, and so, but if you're, but look at the total return over a period of, of a decade or 20 years or 15 years, where does most of the money come from? And the answer is most comes from appreciation by a factor of 10x, right? So, so if your goal is to get wealthy, you want to own the highest appreciation properties possible. That, 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 that's true. That's true. And I'm going to show you some other loans you can get that require not even your own credit. So that might be even better, right? But yeah, um, you know, certainly knowing all these tricks is helpful, right? And um, we're doing a little early conversation here. I'm really probably ready to get our started uh, with our main presentation. 
but I just wanted to kind of warm you guys up by having some uh, general uh, questions and, and general discussions. So welcome to the Real Estate Investor Association. Uh, what we're doing here is sharing some tribal knowledge, and uh, that's really what real, RIAs are good for, right? Uh, real estate is not complicated. There's a million little details, though. And sharing tribal knowledge, right? The best way to learn, I mean, there's two ways to learn. You can learn through trial and error, right? <laughs> that's how most people learn. You get the test first, uh, you get the lesson after. Or uh, you can learn from others, right? Uh, we call that sharing tribal knowledge, right? Listening to people that have been doing this for years and years and and, and kind of have learned from maybe decades of experience, right, how this business really works. Uh, that's what we call sharing tribal knowledge. We do a lot of that here at the RIA. So let me go ahead and pull up my uh, first presentation. So uh, boom, 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 boom. And I'm actually not the normal speaker tonight. Our regular speaker is uh, a little under the weather, so you got a substitute uh, in here today. Uh, and I'm just kind of winging it here, but I am going to go ahead and get our presentation started. So let me start here just for a second. Texas's largest real estate investor association at TexasStarterKit.com. If you like today's episode, please subscribe, comment, share with other investors, or join us directly at TexasStarterKit.com.